This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's episode is all about convenience, Craig, and you know what's convenient? It's a website that helps you make websites. I mean, it's incredibly convenient. convenient. Yeah. It's convenient when you want to make a website. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me tell you about Squarespace, our sponsor this week. Squarespace is that website that helps you make websites like we just talked about. They help you claim domains, sell stuff online, market your brand, and they give you all kinds of analytics and stats that you can use to see who is looking at your stuff. Squarespace gives your website award-winning design, world-class engineering, and powerful e-commerce tools and they've got 24-7 award-winning customer support and nothing to patch or upgrade ever. So if you've got a website that you're just dying to make, you need to go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash overdue. Offer code overdue. Save 10%. Squarespace. It's convenient. <laughs> What did we do? What now? We saved daylight. Oh, did we? Good. I didn't know it, it was, was in trouble. In, it was incredible danger. Mm-hmm. And we saved it. We're here. And it's... I don't know where we're putting the daylight anymore. <laughs> it's really... Well, it's it really, safe. It snuck up on me this year because I fell asleep on the couch, as I sometimes do. And I woke up and it was only like five in the morning. I was like, man, it feels like six in the morning. And huh. it was only later when I was in Henry's room that I realized what had happened. <laughs> yeah, because, I, yeah. Uh, I watched it happen. I mm. experienced the time travel. And it's very disorienting. It's But you kind of feel like, okay, I, I, if you're up while it happens, you kind of feel it's like, exciting. all right, it's a, it's a free hour. I just get to stay up a little bit later now. Yeah. Yay, or yeah. go That's to bed early. To <laughs> Which... Well, that if, if that if you can't tell by this episode's energy, that didn't happen. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew, and we are here on the back five hundred. We're calling this round of episodes mm-hmm. the second five hundred eight years of our lives, and uh, we're going to talk about. Let's, let's say we're going to get to at least one thousand. So this will yeah. be the second half. This is the second half of the show that's starting right now. We heard there's another podcast out there calling itself Overdue, and we, the Don Quixote of podcasts, are out there to set the record straight. <laughs> uh, there anyway, are like two others. <laughs> All the work yeah. that we did to make sure we weren't taking a name that somebody <laughs> else had, and these other pretenders have done They're us like, no such. They're like bespoke, hyper local library podcasts. I don't. Yeah, I mean that's how, listen. That's how it starts. Oh my god, we're not here to litigate. <laughs> what are we here to do? We are here to talk about books that uh, one of us or somebody out in the world has been meaning to read. Somebody reads a book they haven't read before. We talk about the author. We talk about the story. We talk about what you might get if you read the book. Andrew, what book? Did you read this week? I read Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata, which is a, a Japanese novel from 2016, I believe. Yeah. That has won some awards. I found it on a list of like good short novels. We're always looking for <laughs> stuff to uh, fill out 
we always when we plan the show, we always have like one gap on the calendar that we need to slide something into. So yeah, I did a bunch and, of googling, well, and so this is one of the ones that came up, and it and it caught my interest, and here I am having read it. And I'm glad that you found this one because we have certainly read some books by Japanese authors. We have not read many, um, and I feel like the uh, this is her first novel in English, even though I think she is now up to 11 novels. Yeah, she's been writing for a while, but yeah. A long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and I think I saw this anecdotally when we announced we were doing the book. Like, this is one that people have been excited to read or have recently read. Um, it is by one of the, you know, f- most currently successful contemporary Japanese writers, um, but it is someone who is new to English readers or English speaking readers. Um, so worth discussing on the show as like uh, kind of a window into this literary community uh, and into this author's work. Um, Murata, born in 1979 in uh, Inzai and Chiba, uh, family moved to Tokyo for high school. She was a sci-fi fan as a kid. I think wrote some stories when she was like 10 or 11. Has that classic thing where she's like, I didn't show anybody because I didn't want my parents to know what I was writing about. Um, <laughs> well, she has said in more recent interviews that now her parents don't want to read the books no. that she's writing because they're too much about like sex and stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, so. yeah. Um, she attended Tamagawa University um, and she joined a small class by an award-winning novelist and that kind of set her on her path. Is this the um, Iowa Writers Workshop of Japan? I don't do you know. Think? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, her first novel in 2003, Junyu, or Breastfeeding, it won the Gunzo Prize for New Writers. Uh, her 2013 novel of Bones of Body Heat of Whitening City won the Mishima Yukio Prize. Uh, and then this novel uh, was first published in 2016 in like a literary magazine, I think, called Bungukai, and then it was published standalone. It's since sold like over a million copies, and yeah, as we said, this is the first one that's been translated into English. The translation's by Ginny Tapley Takamori, Mm -hmm. uh, who's a British writer and translator, um, has kind of... I read an interview with her on the Asymptote Journal talking about like forming a translator's collective specifically around Japanese women writers. And I think she's done almost all of uh, Murata's work because Murata's had two short stories published in English as well. Um, Just an interesting, she had a few interesting quotes about this book that I'll I'll bring up if they're relevant to our discussion. Yeah. Um, But anything else in your, like, did you read anything else about this book before you dove into it? Andrew? No, I didn't read anything about the book specifically. Like when I was reading around um, after I had read it, because I went to Japan like a decade ago for oh, like yeah. a week That's right. and a half to, to hang out with a friend. So you're and, an expert. Um, no, I'm not an expert. I'm just saying I <laughs> I remember like reading stuff about Japanese convenience stores after having read this book. I was like, oh yeah, I definitely did go into some of those and they definitely are. Like if you... So... Think of like a like a Seven Eleven or a bodega or something in the U.S. Craig, can you tell me just a couple of two or three adjectives that you might 
associate with like the store or its wares or it's just like general physical condition based on your experience specifically a bodega well 7-elevens all have that um taquito smell that's (laughs) one thing all 7-elevens smell like smell um and most bodegas are very cramped they are often like in buildings that are you know could use some love, mm-hmm. and that's not a besmirch on on the people who run those stores. It's just a factor of where often there is like real estate to have them. Yeah, right. Um, but it is not a like it is not often a brightly lit space. It is not often a very roomy space, and it is often something that you're like, I just got to get that thing that I need. I'm right. gonna run and, down to the corner store and grab. And it. And I would also I would add I think like they are decent they're they're fine places to go get like packaged foods but they're not amazing places to go to get like prepared or fresh foods generally no you might get a breakfast sandwich at a bodega you're Mm -hmm. not gonna get like depending on where you are you it is rarer to go and get like a good prepared lunch Mm -hmm. or something that Mm -hmm. is not a takeaway cheesesteak or whatever yeah and even like your 7-elevens with like the hot dogs on the rollers like it's still it's still it's like road food it's not what Mm -hmm. i would think of as like a special fun treat (laughs) no for sure so yeah japanese convenience stores generally are are much more uniform they're very brightly lit they're very like similarly laid out kind of across the spectrum the three biggest chains are 7-eleven which we also have um though in japan they have a lot of like uh store brand stuff that's like really high quality and and well and and renowned for like being pretty good and then there's a lawson and family mart and okay both of those are also known for like their their sweets and their like their hot foods and it's just it's a different it's a different scene over there <laughs> i was reading i, I want no i was not reading i was watching an interview with uh takamori and murata and takamori was talking about how like i think 7-eleven was the first one to import into japan in the 70s mm-hmm. and then the other two followed suit and then yeah you're right they took on their own uh japanese identity and it's what you can like it's way more expected that you're going to go in there and buy clothes or you might buy booze or you might make some photocopies mm-hmm. or pay a bill. Mm-hmm. Like the type of thing that in America is usually in a few different stores. <laughs> yeah. Like you you could get like Walmart is a good example, but th- that's like a big, big lot store kind of thing. Like that's maybe the closest analog and it's not even a great analog. Yeah. Right. Just in terms of having so much stuff in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, but she worked in one for like 18 years or not just in one. She worked in a bunch of them for like most of her life. Yeah. And including after she started becoming known as a writer and including, I think for a little while after this book came out, um, she was a part-time convenience store worker. And I don't think like, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the, um, the protagonist protagonist of this book, uh, Keiko Furukawa, who is, I don't think we're meant to read her as a like a one one translation no, of Murata onto the page, but I, but the, um, she's definitely drawing from her experiences as a convenience store worker, and she talks in that um, Financial Times story a lot about just the you know the number of 
of ideas that you get for characters when you're, mm. you know, observing the kinds of people who rotate in and out of a convenience store and you she talks about you know building characters based on when they come in or what they buy or the kinds of things that they they do and say so yeah it's it's a big component of her life and of her writing yeah i think it was in the new york times profile i read where she talked about she kept it going in in part because it was useful to have that in her schedule for like writing discipline but then she would like somebody commented that she missed a day and they like didn't see her when she was in the store and it was because she was off like uh receiving the akutagawa prize for this story (laughs) and she like had to miss a day of work to go do that um and yeah i i think you're right the there is a temptation in a lot of the coverage of this book to conflate her and the character and then there's but there's also some nuggets in there that like yeah she she is it is a reflection of things that she has obviously observed even if she is creating a, a character i think the other thing i'll just want to say about her work overall uh it sounds like a lot of her other stories are a little more adventurous mm-hmm. in concept and like uh there's a novel in 2014 uh, where I, I think one translation called it the the birth murder uh, that might not or breeders and killers is another title I saw of it, okay. where quote bureaucrats have solved Japan's declining birth rate by giving men artificial uteruses and allowing both sexes to kill one person if they successfully successfully reproduce ten. Whoa, whoa! <laughs> uh, and then her most recent novel, Earthlings, has like a high concept alien thing happening. Um, and she has talked about how a lot of her stories are character first and she doesn't necessarily plan them out. And then so if they take some sort of whimsical or surreal or supernatural turn, that's just what she's interested in. And while this book, this book is clearly written by that same author, it sounds like, but it does not contain that necessarily. Right. Is mm-hmm. that true? This yeah. is not like a sci-fi book. No, it's not a sci-fi book. It's very, it's very grounded aggressively grounded you might say (laughs) okay uh well let's take a quick break you could tell me what's uh happening in this convenience store okay dreams we've all got them books we've all read them (laughs) but what if you could have both andrew what if i could tell me more Allow me to tell you about Book Dreams, a podcast for everyone who loves books and Mrs. English class. In each episode, co-hosts Julie Sternberg and Evie Halem explore all sorts of book-related topics. We got word origins, memoirs, stories about outsiders, stories by insiders, even stories about ancient Greek theater. That's the catnip for me, Andrew. Their most recent episode features uh, Brian Dorries. He's the artistic director of Theater of War, uh, celebrated translator and director of Greek plays. He was the public artist in residence in New York City. I'm very familiar with his work, and uh, it was really neat to see him on their feed. He has a lot of cool uh, stuff on his resume and a lot of interesting opinions as to like what is worth going back to those texts and why it might be worth taking them out of like a conventional theater setting and taking them directly to communities. Mm -hmm. Um, So you should definitely check out that episode and otherwise just scan through their feed and find another thing that suits you. Book Dreams is brought to you by the Podglomerate. New episodes run every Thursday, and you can listen by subscribing to Book Dreams on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to Overdue. 
We're all spending a lot more time on the computer in the last 18 months or so for whatever reason. I don't know why. I can't. Who could say? Uh, Henry calls them pooters right now, which is not as funny for me. Um, yeah, hop on the pooter. <laughs> hop on the pooter. So if you've noticed that your kids are being a little more interested in the computer and the stuff on it these days, I'd encourage you to check out another sponsor this week, ID Tech Camp. Um, ID Tech Camp is a world leader in STEM education, and uh, when your kids use it, they will experience science, tech, engineering, and math topics not covered in school as they are prepared for a future that demands literacy in these crucial fields. Uh, listeners of Overdue can save $150 on weekly small group semesters or get started with a one-on-one tutoring session for just $49. Uh, ID Tech has courses on game development and robotics and coding and uh, you know creative courses like using uh, Adobe Photoshop and other, other apps. Um, I was looking through their courses and I saw classes on like Minecraft modding and on like Roblox stuff. Yes. And so if you've ever seen your kids playing either of those games and you don't really understand what's going on, <laughs> someone <laughs> at ID Tech does and they can they can teach your kids more. So go to IDTech.com slash overdue right now. Use the code overdue to save 150 bucks on weekly small group semesters for a limited time. You can also get started with a one-on-one tutoring session for just $49. That's code overdue at IDTech.com slash overdue to save $150 and your child can start learning online from a live instructor right now. IDtech.com slash overdue. Andrew, it would be very convenient for me if you started the next part of this show. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Would it? Would it now? Interesting. <laughs> I would like to order one rest of the podcast, please. <laughs> okay. So, convenience store woman. Um, the protagonist of this book I mentioned before, Keiko Furukura. I may have said that wrong before, but that's the, okay. that's the right name. Uh, she is a 36-year-old woman who works part-time in a convenience store and has done so since she was around like 18, since since uh, she attempted to go to college. And we are introduced to her in this like opening bit of this book. And she is, it is clear that she is very comfortable at the convenience store. Like she knows its rhythms. She is comforted by its sounds. She knows exactly what goes on at, in the store at every moment of every day. Um, like she knows, she knows about the lunch rush. She knows when people are going to want cold drinks. She knows when, you know, how, how to position and sell the hot food. She's just like a collection of statistics about how the entire <laughs> convenience store works and uh, also how to serve the people who come into it. So it's clear pretty much from the jump, like not like immediately, but pretty early that uh, Keiko is, I think, somewhere on um, the autism spectrum um, because she specifically talks about having a very hard time um, relating to people, understanding like their emotional responses um, fitting in. I'm not I'm not saying these are the only um, symptoms that somebody with ASD can have. It's just like the way that that it. And and it's never mentioned by name in this book, but I think it's pretty strongly Im- implied that that's what's going on. Like she's- I, I saw a comment in I th- I think it was a Takamori interview with the translator where she, that that came up, and she didn't she she wasn't willing to go out 
uh, on Murata's like behalf and say one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think Murata's talked about that specifically either. And, uh, and she she leaned on it, perhaps being uh, like, if if that's what your read on it is, that's your read on it. It could be more metaphorical. It you know putting it in context with her other work, but well, it doesn't, and, and for what it's know. worth, I, I think that the book is. And so what what um, she has talked about, uh, Murata, is this book being about like nonconformity and how society yeah. deals with people who aren't like who don't quote fit in. And I think it's yes. more of an indictment on the people around Keiko than it is of anything you know going on with with Keiko herself. Yeah, I think um, that that's probably what Takamori was was getting at, if but, I recall correctly. But let me let me just give you the passage where where I pick that that impression up, and then we don't need to you know we don't need to uh, yeah yeah sure totally more because it's it's not you know what it is clear that she doesn't fit in. The reason why doesn't, it's not necessarily important. Um, so she's talking about when she started at the convenience store, like it's a brand new convenience store just opening. She's part of the first crop of, of employees. And she's saying, uh, I was good at mimicking the trainer's examples and the model video he'd shown us in the back room. It was the first time anyone had ever taught me how to accomplish a normal facial expression and manner of speech. Uh, for the two weeks prior to opening, we worked in Paris to role play dealing with imaginary customers. We practiced looking the customer in the eye, smiling and bowing, cleaning our hands with alcohol before handling items from the hot food cabinet, putting hot and cold items into separate bags and sanitary products into paper bags. Uh, it was fun to see all kinds of people from university students and guys who played in bands to job hoppers, housewives and kids studying for their high school diploma at night school, don the same uniform and transform into the homogenous being known as a convenience store worker. Once the day's training was over, everyone removed their uniforms and reverted to the original state. It was like changing costumes to become a different creature. Um, so she, you know, and she is talking about, she's t- she talks about the manual to the convenience store. And it's like, finally, I have had trouble relating. Like there are a couple of childhood anecdotes that are shared where it's like a couple of boys are fighting and everybody's telling them to stop. And so she says, well, okay, they want, Everybody wants them to stop fighting. So she picks up a shovel and bangs one of them on the head with it. Yeah. Um, and okay. It's, it's just stuff like, I don't, I don't understand what people want me to do necessarily. This is confusing to me, but finally someone has written a manual on how to be a human in this convenience store. And th- this I can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, so she's, yeah, go for it. I did. I found the the quote. Um, this is a KyotoJournal.org interview with Takamori, um, where they talk about whether or not Keiko's on the autistic spectrum, uh, and it says it's an open question. But for Murata, it might be missing the point. She doesn't want Keiko to be seen as ill. She is simply someone going about her life. Um, but other people find her disturbing because she's not living the life that they think she should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that this is about focusing on the quote focusing on the absurdities of what is considered normal um and then yeah this store giving in her an opportunity to just be the person that she is which i Mm -hmm. think is really what comes across yeah and and right yeah 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 and and that's a that's a good like to say that it's missing the point to focus over much on this i think is is right i i bring it up because i think for readers and for listeners you're right i think it can be a helpful rubric for like understanding the specific some of the some of the specific kinds of things that she is experiencing or or the sure you know the ways that she um relates to the world around her but i don't i don't think that it's super important that we 
that we'd say that you know she yeah yeah, she yeah, yeah. does or does not have any particular thing um so yeah the so the 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 arc of the of the book is Keiko is you know she is going about her life as a convenience store worker but she she you know she she has a sister who she still sees a, a sister who's just had a had a baby um she's got a friend from like school who she goes still goes and and hangs out with like intermittently just because it's you know she, she does find it easier to do things that are expected of her so she doesn't just like get a bunch of questions um mm. and she is finding as she is getting a little bit older and she you know she doesn't she hasn't married she has not she doesn't have like romantic interests or interest in sex at all um and she is not like moving up in this organization she's not looking for another job like the the typical like markers of progress that one yeah. looks for in a in a person's life are not present here and that that absolutely does not bother Keiko at all but mm. she is finding as she's getting a little bit older and it is it is sort of occurring to her like oh i'm i'm 36 my body isn't necessarily what i what it used to be like one day i you know i'm just a cog in society and one day my body will wear out and i won't be able to serve the convenience store anymore and 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 she doesn't seem like bothered by that so much as she just seems aware of it and so it's all this all this stuff is coming to a head at the same time and sort of creating this external pressure on her to conform if only to get everybody kind of off her back and like stop the oh. you know, stop people from just like commenting on, on what her life is not because she is like oh i'm behind no she oh. she's she's not yeah. she's not worried about it and the book doesn't treat it as like a bad thing that she is how she is this or way she is. yeah it's yeah. just like it is other characters in the book and and even it's it's it's, it's makes me sad to see so like she she her sister loves her and is in her corner and supports her and even helps her come up with answers to some questions that she might get about like oh why are you working in this convenience store part-time for you know for almost two decades like helps her come up with answers to deflect that will seem like acceptable to other people so it just doesn't get doesn't turn into mm. a thing mm. um but at one like in the in the middle of the book um Keiko starts sort of seeing someone kind of it's we'll talk about it but okay. the way that everyone from her like sister to her you know that her coworkers to the you know people who she's friends with the way that they react to her like quote moving forward in a you know in a way that is recognizable to them as neurotypical people is really it's kind of, it's sad because is it just all, that like the the support that maybe they had been trying to show was clearly like not as solid because they're so it's not even support that they're trying to show it's just like you know you oh hey i i understand i think i understand what you're going through and i'm going to try and relate to you based on ways that things have worked out for me in my life you know what i mean Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. I was reading some uh, three star Goodreads, three star Goodreads reviews as I as I do sometimes, mm. 
And so the book is described as like humorous or comic in some ways. And some of the three star Goodreads reviewers took issue with that description of the. <laughs> this is from Barry on Goodreads. I'm somewhat taken aback by the quotes plastered around this novel that reiterate just how funny it is. I have a dangerously weak spot for deadpan humor, but I do have to worry about those who read a uh, convenience store woman and find humor in it. This has to be one of the most relentlessly depressing tales ever put to print. It is practically Dostoyevskian. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm going to have to double my Mirzapine tonight. Uh, wow. Mirtazapine. Wow, yeah. Man, a lot of pronunci- pronun- pronouncing stuff. You really hard. set yourself up for that one? Yeah. Um, and it's, I think the whether you find this funny or not, I think is going to depend on whether you find humor in the way that she relates to the world around her. So I th- I think the thing where she finds the manual and says like the, the manual for being a convenience store worker and says, well, finally someone wrote down how to, you know, how to be a person for me in a way that I understand. Like, I'm not, I'm not laughing at her. I'm not like laughing out loud, but that registers as, intentionally humorous to me. Does yeah, that make sense? Sure. No, and, no, no, no. And the yeah. other another instance of that is she she's so she works with people at the convenience store and she talks you know, they're on like manager number eight, I think, since the convenience store opened eighteen years ago. And okay. you know, she's got these coworkers coworkers around her and she is talking about like the so she knows how to function in the convenience store because there is a manual for how to be a convenience store worker. Sure. She picks up a lot of her other social cues from the people who she's currently working with. And so she's, you know, she's talking about like, oh, I'm, I'm this percentage, this person's speech patterns. And I, you know, there's this other woman who's about my age and this is how she dresses. And so I have carefully looked at the labels on her clothes and gone to the same website and bought not identical, but similar things. And just, just trying to find touch points on like how to how to figure out what is expected of her so she does not draw a bunch of unwanted attention to herself. Yeah. And that yeah. that registers again to me as intentionally funny. Um, yes. It, and I get like it, I'm and I'm not listen, not again, not laughing out loud, not laughing at the character's expense. It is just like it is a way of describing how a person is relating to the world that that reads is funny to me. Well, and and it's that kind of thing like Wow, that's a really good detail. Like looking up the labels of somebody's clothes to like get a sense of what to wear. When you say that out loud, it's funny, but it's also like if people are wearing good socks that I kind of like, and I kind of want to like <laughs> live in that world with those cool socks. Like I'm gonna try and find those socks. Yeah, and this is it. Just feels like it's by by running it through a character who does not do this uh easily or or needs to do it needs to put in a little more effort to do this type of like fitting in Mm -hmm. it just dials up the it dials up the thing that we all do to like 11 Mm -hmm. to like just heighten it um there's a quote that she said when someone in i think lit hub asked her if this book was a criticism of Japanese society or like our capitalized global culture. And I think it might also apply to like what elements of this are purposefully funny or not. I don't write novels to criticize. I think it is a description as I keep describing 
the main character is tormented by the world, so it may seem critical. But as an author, I try to describe very precisely. Mm -hmm. And I think that precision might depress Barry. Mm -hmm. It might depress us, but make us chuckle. (laughs) It might just make you chuckle. Like, I think she's just... Murata seems to be aiming for just like this character is someone who is so precise. I'm just going to put that on the page and you'll get what you get. Yeah. And I think the, the kind of, you remember that video game where that octopus is trying to be the, the dad Octodad, Octodad, yeah. and everyone he registers as everyone to everyone around him as a dad for some reason, or those comics with the weird looking aliens who are putting things in like hyper yes. literal terms. Yes, I think the humor is sort of the same. Uh huh. In in those cases, like it is a it is a person who is taking stuff that we all sort of universally understand and seeing it from this like this very literal like sort of reverse engineering like Mm -hmm. how do i how do i reverse engineer the essence of how to like blend in with people or something and then that's where the the book's humor comes from for me i think she she said in multiple interviews she uses this like metaphor of she thinks about human beings as really strange animals Mm -hmm. And she's like, if you were an alien and you looked at Earth and it's like, oh, this planet's full of animals and there's a dog and a cat. What's that other weird animal doing? Like, what is that one walking around putting clothes on doing? Like, she this clearly is veering delights. very close to being a Jerry Seinfeld. Bit. No, no. Yeah, but <laughs> it is a little bit. But like her point being that, like, there are a lot of things that separate, quote unquote, humanity from a lot of other species and a lot of it is just our own foibles and oddities that we try to pretend are like expected and normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's written a lot of different stuff that seems to be about this like discrepancy between what is expected and what it is to just be who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Okay. Anything yeah, else she, we need to know about? Yeah, go ahead. And, and one, one last thing, lest it, so my, my <laughs> examples are, outer space aliens and an octopus who's pretending to be a person <laughs> lest you <laughs> lest you think i am i am like trying to dehumanize keiko in some way like sure, th- this sure. is sort of how she is describing stuff um she is uh my present self is formed almost completely of the people around me i'm currently made up of 30 percent mrs izumi 30 percent sugawara 20 percent the manager and the rest absorbed from past colleagues um, my speech is especially infected by everyone around me and is currently a mix of that Mrs. Iz- Mrs. Izumi and Sugawara. I think the same goes for most people. Um, and I probably infect others with the way I speak too. infecting each other like this is how we maintain ourselves as human is what I think. And so she is, she is human, but she's also viewing humanity from kind of the outside yeah, yeah, and this no. this is how she is like con- conceiving herself as an interacting with the world so for sure i saw a quote from this book also where she talks about like being part of the convenience store because she's eating (laughs) so much of the convenience store yes yep Mm -hmm. (laughs) keiko sounds cool i don't know she's she's a really interesting character to to hang around with and then you really like you want other you you as the me as the reader i am not like i am not as so many of the characters in the book are like really hoping that Keiko can be like quote cured as so many people yeah, in the book yeah. want her. I just, I want everybody to like get off her case and let her be her. Sure. And, and in, in the same way that I 
think that a lot of elements of capitalism where you're just supposed to endlessly be moving forward just because of what you're supposed to do, like moving forward or moving up or whatever, like you just can't yep. find a place where you're happy and hang out there for as long as it makes you happy. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I think if the book is critiquing capitalism, like that's, that's the critique is like people assume you're supposed to be like progressing, but what is progression? Who decides what progression is? If you're all if if you're supposed to be looking for happiness, like what's wrong with just like being happy? <laughs> and it sounds like that is also if you're looking at this book through like a gender politics lens mm-hmm. or like a feminist lens. Um similar to every issue we've talked about in this podcast, every interview I could find, Murata or her translator, like, I mean, that issue's there. The book's about this person, but yeah, you there are a lot of life experiences for the people working on this book of like comparing being in university and being everyone being like, well, did you find your husband at school yet? Mm-hmm. And she's like, why would I go to school if that was the point? Is <laughs> like a that's a me paraphrasing paraphrasing a moronic quote. Well, and something she point. talks about again in that in that Financial Times interview, like right at the end, is how the ways that she has, like, she is. Um, the way that she is I don't know if suffering is the right word but the mm. the way that society has like discriminated against her because she's a woman she she takes that and she uses it in her work she there's there's this quote from her if I were born again I would choose to be a woman uh, the shrapnel left in my mind after having a hard time is very important to me I was able to discover so many things by being hurt if I led another life I would want to lead one in which I was hurt without that I wouldn't be able to be the same me mm. so like dang mm. dang dang <laughs> okay she's very good at, at using <laughs> And this is this comes up in the interview too. You should just read the interview, and we could probably link it on social media at some point. Yep. Uh, this week, but she's very good at taking subject matter that, as Barry experienced, seems pretty like morose mm, and mm-hmm. and bummery, and coming at it in a way that I find sort of refreshing or or humorous. She talked about in a, a Guardian interview um, where they were digging into like. Uh, women's roles in relationships and in the workforce. She was in a uh, a relationship with a convenience store manager who was older than her and he was expecting her to cook morning and evening and do all his wash. And she said, it felt like being physically and mentally exploited. I mean, I hate food and cooking. I keep a vase (laughs) on top of my cooker, she Mm -hmm. says, laughing. Like, she's just, let me find, her brain is just pulling the offbeat way to say the blunt thing most of the time. Mm Mm-hmm which is just fascinating. Okay, so I feel we've talked a lot about Keiko. We've talked a lot about Murata. You've alluded to like changes happening in the book. And I know it's not a super long book. So like what is the the thing that happens, quote unquote, in the book? So here's a, here's a, here is the pivot point in a couple of sentences. These past two weeks, I'd been asked 14 times why I wasn't married and 12 times why I was still working part-time. So for now, I'd decide what to eliminate from my life according to what I was asked about most often, I thought. Deep down, I wanted some kind of change. Any change, whether good or bad, would be better than the state of impasse I was in now. So a lot of people hassling her and <laughs> her sure. just... And, and, and she, you know, she wants to... She wants to try something different to stop that, but she also is like, well, maybe, I mean, I don't really understand, but maybe some change would be good. Maybe, maybe I have been doing the same thing 
for too long and and there is something else that I could sort of understand and and interface with so I I I should go and and try and figure that out. And so yeah. there's this there's this guy uh, Siraha who is a a part-time coworker at the convenience store. He is deeply unsympathetic very like huge incel energy coming off of siraha oh cool loves to talk about how we haven't changed since the stone age and that he's a victim and you know he can't find somebody to marry or who's interested in him but he's like stalking women all the time it's pretty it's pretty bad (laughs) like as as sympathetic as keiko is siraha is is deeply not sympathetic. Um, he says, I always did want revenge on women who are allowed to become parasites just because they're women. I always thought to myself that I'd be a parasite one day. That'd show them. So this is this is where this guy's coming from. Awesome. But it also seems sometimes like he might sort of understand Keiko's deal and, and what she's going through. Like is so he she's an outsider? Is that the thing? Yeah, is and, he, and like, so he doesn't fit. Yeah, and so she she is one of the times when she's being asked, you know, why aren't you married? Why do you still have this job? She she has this impression of society as like trying to uh, eject an unwanted like foreign object that it doesn't oh, understand out of yeah, itself. Okay, and so he talks to her sometimes. Um, you're a foreign object. It's just nobody bothered to tell you because they find you too freaky. They've been saying it behind your back though, and now they'll start saying it to your face too. Uh, people who are considered normal enjoy putting those who aren't on trial, you know, but if you kick me out now, they'll judge you even more harshly. So you have no choice but to keep me around. So what she has decided is this guy sort of sucks. He's not a good convenience store worker. He says a lot of nasty stuff. Nobody in the store likes him. Like he, he has not managed to fit in even in the convenience store to the extent that Keiko has, Sure. But she thinks, you know, I this guy doesn't actually want like anything physical from me. Maybe we can both help each other out and make each other seem more like normal. And mm. that will help with some of the stuff that I'm experiencing lately. And it it is the most like the the worst I felt for Keiko in this book is all of these people in the convenience store who worked with Siraha for a couple of weeks did not like him, thought he was, you know, thought he was creepy, like saw him sort of stalking or harassing the, the female customers. Like when they find out that Keiko is in a relationship with him, their like palpable relief at her doing something that seems normal, <sighs> even though it's with this guy who sucks is no kind of stomach turning it's just, it's just, uh, uh, and and you realize like oh these you know the, the the people who work at the convenience store have have been going out to like get drinks and stuff like that there are elements even though she thinks she is fitting in perfectly with everybody there are things that the other people in the store do with each other that sort of subtly hint that they know that something's not quite right about her yeah um yeah yeah, and, and so she and so she quits the convenience store. She's going to try and look for like a better job, and Siraha is going to hang out at her house and just kind of leech off of her. Um, because oh, neat. that's because that's his. You know, he's he's a man, and things haven't changed since the Stone Age, and 
and this is just kind of I'm going to be a parasite now, and this is what I'm going to do. So you go look for you go look for a better job. We're going to get married. You're going to get like my sister in law off my back. It's going to be great for me, Siraha. <laughs> um, so she is she is going in for an interview, and when she is going, she passes another a different convenience store, and she goes in. Um, and she, you know, because she is, and, and this, this, there are two weeks or so, a couple of weeks where she's not working at a convenience store and she kind of loses her, her, the guardrails on her life have kind of come off. Like she, she used to know when to get up and, and what to eat. And she sort of understood what the point of her life was. And without the convenience store, she is just kind of sleeping whenever she's eating, whatever she's. Um, she is looking at the clock and and thinking about how, you know, the, this time of day, like the lunch rush is coming in and she thinks about Mm. how, you know, she has been there for many, many people leaving and how the convenience store just kind of keeps going on and, and adapts and, and like, you know, she doesn't, she didn't leave some sort of impression there. She's just kind of like gone and, and. That's it. So she goes into this convenience store, this other convenience store she doesn't work at, and she sees, you know, the the people in the, the there's there should be cold drinks on the shelf and there aren't. Uh, the the shelf here should be arranged in a certain way and it's not. And the she is greeting customers and she's doing this stuff with such like vigor and uh, authority that the people who work <laughs> in the convenience store assume she must be from like the head office or something. Oh my god. <laughs> And Siraha comes in and he berates her and he is really nasty to her because he's been trying to get her to get a better job so that he can stay at home and not have to work. And and so people in his life will stop bothering him about stuff. And the way the book concludes is like she is she's just going to go back to the convenience store because it's it's where she's happy and it's where she sort of knows the score and like how to interact yeah. with people. It's I, you could definitely, if you wanted to read this as tragic in some way, if you, yeah. the reader are like, like rooting for her to change yeah, or if, something. If you were sort of rooting for her to, 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 and, but I feel like that if you do that as a reader, you're kind of being crappy to her. Like the people well, in the book are crappy to her. Can I ask though? Is there is there also a, is there not a tragedy about her, but about the fact that she's going to go back to a store where where people also don't accept her for who she is? Like, is that more? That's not really. Th- that's not really. Ex- let, let me just read you the last little bit yeah, of the. Please. Uh, so Saraha's in the store berating her. Um, I was wasting time talking like this. I had to get myself back in shape for the sake of the store. I had to restructure my body so it would be able to move more swiftly and precisely to replenish the refrigerated drinks or clean the floor to more perfectly comply with the store's demands. Uh, that's grotesque. You're not human. He spat. That's what I've been trying to tell you. I thought I finally managed to pull my hand from his grip and hugged it to my chest. That hand was important for giving customers their change and for wrapping their food orders. It felt disgustingly sticky from Saraha's sweat and I wanted to wash it as soon as i possibly could it was discourteous to customers to leave it like this um and then last paragraph i thought of the window in the hospital where i first saw my newborn nephew through the reflection a bright voice resembling mine rang out i could distinctly feel all my cells stirring within my skin as they responded in unison to the music reverberating on the other side of the glass and she's talking about like seeing herself in the reflection of the convenience store glass Mm, mm. 
my hands, my feet, they existed only for the store. For the first time, I could think of the me in the window as a being with meaning. And it's like, it's, it's for her, it's a happy ending, I think. But I could, yes, I could see how you could think that it wasn't. I don't know. Well, well, yeah, I, I am bummed out by the idea that like, if the, the happy, the happiest ending is her finding a store where people aren't going out and having drinks and talking about her while she's not there. <laughs> like that's the happiest version. Yeah, I'm sure. Recognizing that that is not what the book is about, mm-hmm. but um yeah, I I see I totally agree with you. It doesn't sound like an earnest reading of Keiko the character if you are like, "Oh, why is she why is this all she wants?" Like that's not meeting her where she is. Yeah, right. But is she still? Is the impl? It's not really clear what she's going to do with him, though, right? Like that. I think he's pretty... just, he's just going to leave. Like he's not getting what he wants from her, and so he okay. walks away and doesn't come back. That's that's my okay. that's my read of it. Okay. Um, cool. And she doesn't even she doesn't even actually work at this convenience store yet. She has just come <laughs> into it and like been suffused with meaning, and you assume that she is going to be able to pretty easily get a part time job at a convenience store if she wants to. Yeah, and it's um, got this kind of like spiritual sexual energy she's merging with this convenience store like i i'm mentioning that because i read an essay by Murata. it is that Times. it is in the back of this book is it the one that's oh, like the yeah. letter to the convenience store the no this is called the future of sex lives in all of us oh. and it, it is about like uh her own personal experience with what sex is and isn't and it being this like thing with her own body and then learning about society's conceptions and preconceptions of what sex is and isn't um she's just someone who seems to think a lot about the difference between an individual's experience and what culture writ large is telling that individual Mm -hmm. to do and see and be Mm -hmm. um i recommend people go read it just for us if they want to read something quick before they go read this book which also sounds like it's a quick read yeah it's, <laughs> pretty, it's pretty quick if you want a sense of what she's even just like concerned about let alone what her fictional voice is mm-hmm. what is in the back of this book oh the that's back, another short story she wrote maybe it's i'm not even is? sure if it's a short story because it, it's i mean it's written from from Murata. like it's from her okay. it's it, and it might be to the convenience store that she's working in it might it might also be fiction i'm not sure but she's talking about she says um we've known each other for 17 years but i guess this is the first time i've ever written you a letter and is just like talking about like having sex with a convenience store yeah and like being the her relationship with the convenience store as being like a romantic relationship yeah, and it's a very it's very interesting. It's just a couple of pages. Even if you buy this, even maybe before you read the book, because it's kind of a whole separate thing. You can go all the way to the back and read this like three page letter. Um, because yeah, it gives it really. It, I'm not sure how much it's supposed to say about the way that Keiko is like thinking of and interacting with the store, but it's another way of. I think like romanticizing it a little bit or like, yeah, I don't know. So I, th- I think part of what prompts some people to see this as a sad story is like a sort of a classist thing almost where, yeah, it, you know, this, this low skilled part-time job 
it is something for people who are worse off in life than other people. And so, and, and, and I feel like that, I feel like they transfer that sort of condescension to mm-hmm. Keiko as they read, whether that's, you know, consciously or not. Well, and I think there's also the, like a lot of service work um, is, or and retail service work is like, it's supposed to be transitory. It's supposed to be the thing you do when you're young and you need some money while you're on your way to whatever it is you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that that was that's and, the position it played in in my life more or less. Yeah, same. Like it's just kind of yeah. a thing I did for a while and then moved on from. And we've been living through a two-year stretch where folks doing that work have been more important than ever. So it's kind of an interesting time to read a book like this. Where that's what a person does and wants to do. Yeah, those and I, the jobs don't need to be dehumanizing in the way that they are. Like I, I think a that lot is of also that true. is a function yeah. of what the pay is, which does seem to kind of be not rectifying itself, but like people are having to be paid more to do these jobs mid-pandemic than they were before the pandemic. Um, yeah, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if I have a point to this this bit. What it what I'm it gonna sounds, need to do a close edit of this episode well, this because what, I'm this is why I feel comfortable stuff. being in this yeah. bit right now. Okay, sure. Is that this book, by virtue of its like intense focus on this character, it's pretty limited in scope, right? It's not a very long story. Not very long. Not I mean, it's all from her perspective. It's yep. just this, with the exception of a couple of flashbacks, is just the a slice of a couple of months out of her life. Yeah, it just it just sounds like it's a very potent prism through which you could run a bunch of different reads and interests and thematic concerns. And that's not to say that it is like Jack of all trades, master of none. It is just a very like focused thing that is relevant to a whole bunch of stuff. Uh huh. Um, without without being without trying to name a bunch of those things as its like primary concern, sure. Which is just not the type we don't always read books like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seems pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think Thanks it also this book. It as Murata has said in some of those interviews where she's like, "This is this is if it's a commentary on something, it's just because I'm describing stuff as how it is." You know what I mean? Like she's yeah. she's not. Yeah. You're not supposed to get to the end of this book and and be like, "Well, that's the lesson of the story. That's no. you know, that's what I was supposed to get out of this." No. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I enjoyed it, it's a it's a fun read. I thought. I mean, again, you might be bummed out by it, but I, I think it it is is funny when it means to be funny. <laughs> um, the yeah. translation is is good. It doesn't have some of the uh, issues with being overly literal that we talked about with the dragon tattoo <laughs> episode. <laughs> sure. Last week. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah Takamori seems uh, Janine Tapley Takamori seems cool and. Uh, I was interested. You mentioned that Stone Age thing a bunch. She had talked about that being a choice she made because I think in the rather than like bring over the Japanese term for a similar period, she was like, "It's fine. Western readers are going to get that instantly, and that associates like she's just read her after you read this book too because it's some interesting stuff." Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, thanks for telling me about this book, Andrew. Thanks for listening. Um, if folks want to tell us about their favorite convenience store or their favorite convenience store smell, uh, they can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. 
at Overdue Pod. Thanks to Nora, Megan, Violet, Betsy, Becca, Kel, MBK, Relia, Jillian, Aaron, Carol, Joe, Robert, Casey, Carly, and many more for reaching out to us in the past week. Last week was, of course, our 500th episode celebration. Go check that out, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. What is we... what is a food that you only get from a convenience store? You like personally. That, me personally. Yeah, for that me, I only it's get. combos. I don't go to the grocery store and buy combos, but if I'm like on the road and I go into a, you know, like a 7-Eleven or, or a Sunoco or something, I'll buy some pizza combos. I feel like I have mentioned this on a recent podcast, and I don't know why it's in my brain so much lately. Mm-hmm. It's those peanut butter and cheese crackers. Ooh, yeah, those are good. Though I do, I'm not out there in the world buying boxes of those and bringing them to my house. Yeah. I want to pay someone a dollar fifty mm-hmm. and eat them on my way to something I'm late for. Yeah, That's like I, I, I need want. to be eating them with one hand and steering with the other hand, and they can just be like on the seat in my yes. lap, and that's Correct. where they belong. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, thanks to Nick Larandis who composed our theme song. Um, also, go back and check the feed. We posted our Haunted Ohio episode at the end of last week. Ooh. Go listen to that. We had a good time. Uh, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there, we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Uh, we'll have November's schedule up there soon. We did post. Oh, no, it, no, it's there it is it's up there. there. Come look on. At, look at you. Bud, it's look up there. Uh, next month, next week. What's time? <laughs> next week. Reading White Noise by Don DeLillo. November 22nd, we're reading The First 15 Lives of Harry August by Claire North. I don't know when we're going to get to any subsequent lives of his, but, you know, maybe next month. November 29th, we're going to read Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. And then our bonus episode this month is going to be some more Jagged Little Mill. We got to be getting toward the end of that, right? It feels like we've been yeah, reading Don Quixote so. for a long time. <laughs> Not as long as we've read some of the other ones, yeah, but yeah, we're, we're going to get there. Um. Yeah, and if you click those links, you can read along with us and you get a book and your local bookseller will get a sale and everybody will be happy. We have links to Apple Podcasts and Google and RSS and other stuff up on the website. Click those, subscribe to the show, get new episodes when they come out. And patreon.com slash overdue pod if you enjoyed our 500th episode live stream. Uh, We do something similar, a little less produced, but similar uh, for bonus episodes for patrons every other month or so so yeah sign up there and you can join us for that that's it that's it all right everybody thank you for listening until we talk to you next time try to be happy That was a HeadGum Podcast.